What has influenced the food and drink of America? Learn about a growing database of historic culinary places. You may know a place that should be in this register. Learn how to have it included on Tip of the Tongue. Welcome to Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. Thanks so much for being here today. I am here with Brent Rosen, the president and CEO of the National Food and Beverage Foundation and the director of the Southern Food and Beverage Museum. We're here to talk today about the National Culinary Heritage Register, which is one of their projects. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me, Liz. It's, I haven't been on the show in quite some time. I know. I know. We're have, I ever, have I ever done a full one? Yes, you did Very one. early. Okay. Yes. Uh, early, I, early I know one. I'd been on. I didn't know if I, if I got a full interview. You have done, how many is this now? Oh, I think we're up to almost 40. My goodness. Yeah. I'm really impressed, Liz. <laughs> I am impressed, too. <laughs> okay, so please tell me what the National Culinary Heritage Register is. So the, the National Culinary Heritage Register is a, a program we have out of the, the National Food and Beverage Foundation. And what we are looking to do is create the most expansive list in the country of historical food, beverage, producers, restaurants, companies that make food products, farms, really any sort of food-related business that has been around for at least 50 years and has made a substantial impact on the, the culinary culture of the United States. And so it really could be people can self-identify, right? Yes. It, anyone who, who meets the criteria, which we can talk about in a second, can... Uh, can self-select. It's on the, the website at southernfood.org, and you can look at the National Culinary Heritage Register. And we have some really neat people on the register now, everyone from Tabasco, which is one of the most iconic sauces in, in the land, to restaurants like the Rendezvous in Memphis or Princess Hot Chicken in Nashville. Uh, we even have some representatives from the New York area, the California area. It's a it's a really expansive group, and, and, one, and one that really tries to recognize those those iconic brands, businesses, people that make food what you think of it is as today. And it could be drink too, like yes, a, drink a as well. Beverage, you know, like a brewery a or brewery, a distillery or coffee a- absolutely. company. And, and, or and you know, fifty years is a long time period, but it's forever in the the food and beverage business in a lot of ways. And I mean a restaurant to turn thirty, it makes a restaurant legendary. And then to go 20 more years is just incredible. And, and for a brewery or a distillery to, to be around for that long, these, these are businesses that people know the names of. This is not, these aren't fly-by-night things. These aren't, you know, small, nobody's going to know about it operations. These are things you know the name of and, and make culture every day. It sounds like it has the potential to be a really valuable database for the future. Well, you know, what makes it interesting is it's, it's done by date. And so, you know, the older, you know, something is, it doesn't matter for the register, 
But once we know when things started, so, you know, pretend a certain type of barbecue restaurant opened in 1900 somewhere, and then we find out that 50 years down the road, someone related to that restaurant opened a similar style, but further down the road or maybe in another state. And you can start to actually track the influence of certain foods and products as they, they move about across the country. And so there's, there's real relevance to it in the sense of by mapping the time and place where food really became what we know of it as today – it allows us to see the trends and the traditions as they, you know, grew from small niche things in certain areas to, you know, nationally recognized places, people, and things. But I could imagine, too, that even those things that aren't nationally recognized, it's important to know what influenced these little tiny places, too. Sure. And and it's all the same sort of culture that we're interested in. And, and as a, as a, you know, culinary historical organization. These are the kinds of things that allow you to see just a, a little bit broader than the the local tradition or the the local place. And so, sure, there may not be an idea of, you know, maybe not everybody knows the name of this brewery that has been cranking out great beer somewhere in Tennessee for years. But because of that brewery, we know about something else or we find out about a style that may not have been popular in Tennessee but was popularized by that particular brewery. And, I mean, giving me a specific example, you know, the Nelson's Greenbrier Distillery is a distillery that's on the register, and they've been around for, I think, around 100 years now. But their story has changed multiple times over that period with prohibition and then finding an old mash bill in an attic and a younger generation reviving the brand, bringing it back, and now, you know, selling it all over the place out of Nashville. It's a really neat story of sort of the perseverance of, of these industries and these brands and the people. It's, it sounds like something that has really, really lots of things to, to teach people and to tell people about. So how does one get themselves on this register? So the register is, I, I will actually read the criteria, okay. just so that if you're, you're sitting here thinking, God, I wonder if I qualify, I, I will make sure that, that you know. And, and I may not be quite as precise as our internet language, but... What the register acknowledges is any significant culinary product, so that can be a beer, a whiskey, something from a farm, a process, and that can be, you know, making a particular dish or a mess sauce. We actually have uh, in Tennessee, Nashville sliced round is one of our registrants, and that is a traditional uh, dish served around Christmas time. And, you know, that itself is part of Nashville's heritage, and while no one necessarily owns it, we wanted to make sure we had it on the register. You also look at then, you know, culinary traditions where that kind of thing would fall in, you know, the making of gumbo, that type of thing. And then, you know, establishments themselves that are at least 50 years old. And so that can be a subject such as a, you know, continuously operating restaurant or farm or factory or distillery where it's been in one place for 50 years. We also recognize inventions, processes, and traditions that are come from a specific geographical location, but not necessarily a physical site. So to draw that distinction, you know, the po'boy is a New Orleans culinary tradition that could be recognized, but so can a 50-year-old po'boy restaurant. And so it, it gives you a little bit more room to recognize all of the different things because, again, you can certainly recognize individual sort of restaurants or producers of a thing, but the thing is also, you know, in and of itself worth recognizing, uh, snowballs, for example, another New Orleans example, where snowballs have been around since the Sicilians first came to New Orleans. 
now there are a half dozen long-standing snowball restaurants, I guess you would call them, in New Orleans, but the snowball itself can be recognized as well. And then the, the last of the, the sort of categories is places that no longer exist but have made a substantial impact of, of significance in the food world. So these are places that may have been around for, you know, 150, 200 years, but then went away. We don't want to foreclose the ability to recognize things just because they aren't still around if they were incredibly impactful while they were around. And so it's a very broad sort of categories of eligibility. The the hardest one to make, again, is that 50-year number, which, you know, is what makes it, I think, as significant as it is, because 50 years is a long time. 50 years is a long time in the food business, for sure. Partially because it's just such a difficult industry, but also because trends change. And so if you can't adapt, that makes it really hard to stay open. Sure. It's, it's different for the, like an historic building register where what's in the building can change. It's the building itself that has been there for as long. And it's, it's easy to repurpose a building. It's hard to turn yourself from a distillery into something else during prohibition. But, you know, a number of places were able to do that and continue long traditions of what they did. And, and I think that that's what, you know, makes this as, as significant as it is, is that it really, it's not about popularity. It's not about any of that. It's about longevity. And, and it's not a contest of who knows the most or, or who, you know, has been the, the biggest, but it's who has really made a lasting impact on, on their community. I, I think it's really an important thing to do because, goodness, it's not something that, say, the National Park Service is taking into consideration when you might put something on a building or whatever on the historic register that they have. Sure, it's, it's different. And, and the Park Service, I know, has, has not expressed any real interest in expanding you know, what they do. And in a sense, you know, it's a different kind of preservation. And, and I think there's certainly a role for you know, the government side of preservation. But I think registers like this really can then broaden what we recognize and what can be recognized beyond the, the sort of more narrow interest of, you know, preservation of physical spaces. I think it also is interesting because it shows how broadly the food industry or the food and drink industry affects everything. Because if you're starting with things like fleets of oyster boats or things like that to waste management and all the things that you do on the other end of food. I mean, it's, it's really pretty big. Yeah. I mean, feeding ourselves is, I guess, one of the biggest you know, things that we do. And, and you don't think about just how big that system is until something goes wrong. I mean, like recently with the COVID, you know, there was some issues of supply chain with pigs. And all of a sudden people wanted to know, well, what's going on with all of the pigs? And it's, you know, we have five gigantic places that do most of the slaughtering of pigs. And so we don't really think about, you know, how does this all happen and how many people are involved in it and how many people touch this thing from when it's born until it's on the shelf in a grocery store. There, there's a whole lot of, of food out there. And there's so many interesting companies in food because it is a lot of times it's agricultural and it's personal and it's hands-on. So it's, it's not sort of like, you know, manufacturing process where it's all machines and it's cold and there's nothing to it. There's, there's some life in the food business in a way that it makes things to recognize a lot more fun. I mean, uh, to recognize a, a factory that's made screws for 50 years, you know, congratulations, <laughs> but there's, there's nothing to really get into there, but a company that's been making, 
you know, French bread for 50 years perfectly every day. That's something that you really, you know, want to seek out and want to celebrate. And it affects everybody. And it affects everybody. It smells good when you walk by. It looks nice in pictures. <laughs> but it, it really, it, it's impactful in a way that it's just different than the other industries. You expect the other industries, you know, to work. You don't expect them to give you joy or, or pleasure or to be, you know, a major part of a community. But you can think of in, in lots of places, and not just in small towns or big cities, but really anywhere, how important food businesses are to their communities, whether it's in, you know, donations, sponsorships, getting out into the community and doing things. Food people are generous in a way that you you see everywhere. And so to be able to be a part of the community for that long is just, it's really impressive. I also think that bars and restaurants in particular are those places where people gather. So other things happen there, whether it's a birthday celebration or an anniversary or a graduation or whatever that might be, but but also just the memories that you create by being there together with other people. That's an impact that a screw manufacturing company probably Yeah, also does not have. have. Yeah. I, I don't think you think about the screws when you look at the artwork you hung with it. That's right. But I think yeah. you do sort of think about the, the space where you're dining or eating or the, the drink that you're drinking and the craftsmanship behind it you know, does become, I think, something that is goes into the experience and becomes a real part of it. So tell me a little bit about some of the, the places that are already on the register. I noticed that Antoine's is on the register. Antoine's in New Orleans is on the register. Tujog's in New Orleans is on the register. There are some really interesting companies that you don't know the names of necessarily, like AC Leg, which is one of the oldest and largest producers of sausage seasonings in the country. Basically, if you eat sausage, their seasoning is in it, but you would really have no idea because they do not sell to customers. They only sell to big sausage makers who then make the sausage, but they have been around for, for an incredible amount of time. Aunt Sally's Pralines, which is another you know great New Orleans business that we have a, a lot of we sell their things in the gift shop. We have a great relationship with them. Same, same with Camellia Beans. And, and another, you know, thinking about iconic dishes, you know, in New Orleans, but also now in the wider South and, and really everywhere, beans and rice is kind of a popular thing all over the place. But Camellia has been sort of synonymous with red beans and rice in New Orleans for years and years and years. And to have them on the register, you know, again, it, it allows you to see how much their product has become part of New Orleans culture. And, you know, with Louis Armstrong and his red beans and rice liors and all of those things, you know, sort of come together to form, you know, this idea of red beans and rice and New Orleans are together in some way. And, and so, you know, how better to recognize the company that makes those beans than to make sure they're on this historic register. So when people think red beans and want to know where did that come from, they can find out it's from New Orleans and Camellia. So does it cost anything to be on the register? It, there is an administration administrative fee of $99. And what that comes with is um, for it gets you on the register permanently. And as we expand our digital uh, efforts at the museum, we'll be soon having an interactive map that allows people to actually look at where these places are across the United States. In addition to those things, we also send out a certificate and some stickers and other things that you can use to put on you know, a door, digital things to put on a menu or a website. And we really encourage people who've been, you know, recognized to 
show off the recognition because it's it's a super impressive thing to have done to make it 50 years in, in anything. And so we really, it's, it's not expensive. It covers our costs and allows us to keep the register active. And, and then, you know, the more people that are on it, the better, and the more we can be able to do with it. And so we're, we're excited about expanding the register through some efforts through the rest of this year, you know, looking for some more of these, these companies that, you know, in a crazy time, let's go out and find the folks who've really been doing it for, for a long time and recognize them. And I can imagine right now that even if your favorite restaurant that might have been uh, from 1970 or, or up till now. Wow. Uh, How was 1970 50 years ago, by I the know. way? I know. Listen, you're talking <laughs> to somebody who really yes, I know. can yeah. hardly believe it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it is, that's 50 years. So things that are just just started in 1970 or or earlier are going to be uh, the ones that can make the register. And then every year there's just a new crop of, of sure. companies it, that it's could a, come in. It's, it's a, hopefully it continues to be a, a renewable sort of source. You know, I, I would love to see people continue to make 50 and 60 and 70 and, and as many years as they can stay in business because it's tough. And, and I think we've definitely seen that it's tough. And with, you know, now, you know, with restaurants, food companies, everybody sort of refiguring things out. I think it's just a, a wonderful time to really be thinking about these these sort of legendary in their communities places that that are are those sources of memories like you talked about and and are the creators of a food culture that, you know, without them wouldn't exist. Well, one of the things that I think is interesting is that Delgado Culinary School is on the register and that they thought that it was interesting enough or important enough for them to be recognized for being over 50 years old. And there are so many other places like that on the register that are not the things you think of initially when you're ta- talking about the food industry. Um, there is, you know, mill manufacturing. And I, I think it would be great to have things like baby food and magazines about food and publishers who publish a lot of cookbooks and things like that. I mean, it could just expand enormously. Sure. The, the broader, really the better, because it, it, like anything else, you know, things start small and then through, you know, the efforts and interest, they can grow. And, and this is one of those projects that really has a, a limitless ceiling because the more people that get interested and excited about it, then the more it grows and the more, you know, it becomes sort of its own viral thing. And, you know, to have enough, there's never there's there's no sense of there's not enough there there are there are so many people out there so many businesses out there that need to be recognized in this way and should be kept permanently on a register and should be mapped so that people can find them and and learn about them and understand why they're important that you know it and it doesn't matter like you said culinary schools is a great example because Delgado for 50 years have been turning out the professionals that make the food that people in New Orleans love and that's a that's a wonderful accomplishment. And and if you don't think about it that way, you should because it's not culinary school is training chefs, sure, but those chefs then become what people love about New Orleans and why people come to visit us. And and I think that's really important stuff. Or they go someplace else. Or go someplace else yeah. and take what we do here to those other places where the food is not quite as seasoned and, and not quite as, as well cooked. 
So really, though, this really is a national culinary heritage register? It is a national register, yes. And, and we are making an effort through the end of this year to reach out to businesses all across the country because it's, it's begun in our, our neck of the woods. We're in New Orleans, so it's easy for us to, to talk to the people in New Orleans. But as we get you know, beyond, it becomes more impactful because we can map New Orleans and, and do a great job of that. But that doesn't tell the story of the cuisine of the, of the United States and how it spread and where the traditions have moved and come from. And, and so as we continue to grow it and we get more national, I think the, the amount of information available to future researchers and to just the general public who's curious about food, you know, becomes ever expanding. Also, I think that it's the opportunity to be unique right now, especially if you're the first person in your state to get on the register or something like that, it makes a kind of interesting story. Sure. Or, you know, this is an opportunity to be creative too, where, you know, there are a lot of different styles of things that could be on the register where, you know, we had talked about the po' boy, but that doesn't mean other types of sandwich can't be on the, re- <laughs> on the record. Or maybe someone wants to have the shrimp po' boy recognized as sort of a contribution of their own. Then... Someone can do an oyster and a roast beef, but there, there's lots of ways to, to be recognized on this list. And, and it's a lot of, what are you saying? This? No, I was just thinking, this could be a big challenge. You know, yeah. all, all the people in Philadelphia can uh, write in for the Philly cheesesteak. Exactly. You know, you know and, and make sure that, that, but, you know, there's always different styles. And, you know, you think about Chicago style pizza. Well, what does that mean? And if, there, if, if there's registrants in that style, and you want to be recognized, you know, there may be a way to be recognized within that category. And I think it's just, it's fun when you start to really think about just how much information could be gathered this way about the the longstanding traditions in American food. Because it's it's we're not the creators of this. We're the administrators. It's our job to upkeep and, and make sure people can find it. This the 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 animation of this comes from the community and is, is creative and as fine a distinction as you want to draw, you know, we have to make sure it meets the eligibility criteria. But in our mind, the more the merrier. And, and there's room for lots of traditions and lots of things on this, on this register. And, and not just room, it's, it's necessary because it's how we really make it as, as important as it can be as a tool to look at the United States and really see, you know, where is, where is cider more popular than the fruit wines of places in the South and, and where you can see from just the registration of different things, you know, what are the long, what are the longest standing businesses in these places? Oh, they're related to apples and apples were grown heavily in this region. And it it teaches you a lot about history just in, in looking at where things are and when. Yeah. I, I can see where even if you're three years away from being 50 years old, now's the time to start thinking about your place on the register so that you can you can get right on it. Yeah, don't as, wait it. Yeah, wait it out. <laughs> right. And so I know that you have a badge that you send out digitally. How can people use that? I mean, you can put it onto any of your your websites, your social media, um, any of the digital communications that you have. So if you're putting out a a release, letting people know that it's happened, you know, it can be there. If you wanted to do, uh, uh, we're going to have a a meat sale for the holidays. And if we were on the register, I'd love to put the registration logo right on the box. You know, we're a heritage, a, a member, a of, member the of the heritage register, and, and it's important. And this is, you know, 
showing it off is, is a neat thing. And, and there's a lot of products that, again, would qualify. And you know, to see those things in the store, it lets the customer know you've been around for 50 years and that you've, you've got experience. You've got experience. This is going to be, <laughs> this is going to be good mayonnaise because it's 50 years, you know, it's been around for a while. The 50 million Elvis fans can't be wrong sort of thing. And, and I think that, you know, that's a fun thing too, because not everybody has made it 50 years. And if you've made it 50 years, celebrate it, put it on the label, put it on the website, let people know that, that you're important in that way. And then it does, it is a way to stand out. It's and, a great you know, marketing tool. And, and I, you know, I'm a, I'm a museum geek, so I don't really think about it as a marketing tool, but I do think that, you know, for people that want to use it as that, it, there's a great opportunity for it because really how do you differentiate, you know, this product from that? And I think the heritage and the culture and the, the sense that you are a longstanding member of the community and that you're going to be for a while, that's a powerful message to, to communicate to people that already like your product or maybe don't know about your product yet. And, and so from, from a marketing perspective, I'm sure it can be helpful. Yeah, and it really, really establishes that you have been contributing to the food community for at least 50 years. At least 50 years, exactly. And, and that's the and, – and, and as a mark, you know, again, it, if you're at 45, you're at 47, you're at 48, you know, hitting that 50 is, is a huge deal. And so as you're, as you're thinking about, you know, 50th anniversary things, you know, we would love to, to celebrate with you and, and recognize you. And, you know, we're, we're recording this during the, the COVID time, so there's not a lot of events or, or fun to have, but I would be remiss in not mentioning that um, we were able to do a little event to recognize some of the people on the National Culinary Heritage Register in Nashville this year in January. And we threw a little party and had 20 registrants from Nashville invited. And we gave everybody their plaques in front of about 150 guests, and, and everyone got to say a little word. But what was really fun about it is we brought a, a number of restaurants in to cook in homage to some of the registrants. So one of the registrants was Prince's Hot Chicken. And if, if you're not familiar, they're sort of they're the inventors of, of hot chicken in Nashville. And so a, a younger chef, kind of an emulation of that, did some really fun chicken on a stick in super hot fashion. And it was neat to see the the sort of longstanding members of the community mixing and mingling with some of the, the younger restaurateurs. It was a really just fun experience for everybody. And we did it at Nelson's Greenbrier Distillery. They were generous enough to to let us use their party room. And it was it was such a fun opportunity to kind of take this this registration and make it real and bring people out to celebrate. And I don't know how long it's going to be before you can put 150 people in a room again or if ever. But when we are able to do that again, then I know as, a, as an organization, we'll be looking to come to the different states and, and visiting in different communities and doing some of these events to celebrate the, the recognizees. Because, again, it's an incredible accomplishment. And, and so to recognize it in the community is a, a neat thing to do, but it also just kind of hammers home how important these places are in their in their world. So before we end, how do you get on the register one more time? So to get on the register, you visit our website. It is uh, you can do natfab.org or southernfood.org and there's a tab for National Culinary Heritage Register. You click on that and then it lists the eligibility criteria. You send us an application and the $99 administration fee. 
And within a few days, we will kind of check the eligibility, make sure that the, the integrity of the list holds, and then we'll get back to you and, and welcome you to the register. And, and then from there, get your information on our website, get you into the, the map app, and um, send out a, a press release saying you've joined the register. And, and really, it's, a, it's an easy process, and it doesn't take long to fill out. So if you are thinking you might be eligible, take a look, and we'd love to have you apply. Thanks so much for joining us today, and we will uh, look forward to getting your registration application. Thanks for listening to Tip of the Tongue. We come to you from studios in the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans. Please come by when you are in New Orleans, and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Liz Williams.